back on the Fan Morning Show, Sports at 590, The Fan. Dust has settled. We've talked to our listeners. We've seen the text line. We've heard from Jeff Merrick. I've heard from Justin. But my day is never complete without the voice of our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online. And in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Nick Kiprios, Stanley Cup champ and co-host of Real Kipper and Born. How are we doing, Kipper? We need uh, 15 minutes with that music and then uh, <laughs> deep breaths. Right? Okay. We need to zen out. Is that what we need to do? Yes. Okay. After How do we do game that? game <laughs> one, Leaf Nation, breathe. <sighs> can you yeah, breathe? That, that can was you ugly. breathe, though? Like, can you breathe after that? Yeah, you can. I, I think there's enough There's enough time. Uh, <laughs> listen, uh this was later on in the series. Uh, there'd be a a panic, no question. Uh, but there, there's there's time to recover here, and knowing or not knowing what lies ahead for a guy like Victor Hedman, it's going to play a key in this series. Mm. And we still think it's going to be a long series here, despite what we saw last night. Okay, so you're, in your experience, what's easier to recover from? where you do get embarrassed, like the Maple Leafs did last night, or you're like the Edmonton Oilers who mm. dominate a lot of the game, have a great game, perform well, maybe a little unfortunate, and lose sort of heartbreakingly in overtime, we'll say. Yeah, I, I, I'd rather lose in overtime by, or, <laughs> yeah. or lose by a goal than, than I appreciate the honesty. You, you witnessed last night, but that doesn't mean that you, you still can't find a way to uh, to tie this series up and, and then really be in a, a, a position of, of saying that uh, we don't have to win both series in, in Tampa uh, to, to come back home for a game five tied to two. And really that's, that's what you're hoping for at this point is that you come back, you rebound well, you win game two, and then you go down there and worst case scenario, you split. So these are the things that you start thinking about as a play as players management, it's it's not getting um, ahead of yourself uh, outside of what you need to do now going into Thursday night, but it, it gives you an idea that there's room here. But we we got to get to work, and we got to get to work as early as uh, uh, going to the rink today mm-hmm. and and reassessing uh, where we failed and and what we need to do to adjust. Kipper, how do you start to maybe like? fathom what uh lack of effort and intensity grit pride heart that was shown especially to start that game with all things considering like it was the moment to really start this journey in the off the right foot like everybody had felt so confident yeah. I, I don't i know you guys are cautiously optimistic as well but there was so much positivity going into yesterday and how does this team just not show up yeah i i think if if you're brendan shanahan or Kyle Dubas, I, I think you just you talk to Sheldon Keefe and and you you ask him well, why were we not prepared? What what went wrong? Did we overstimulate these guys? Did we have one too many meetings? Did, was there too many things that they were thinking about going into the game? I, I didn't like Sheldon's start to the game. Uh, I didn't like the fact that he pulled off Matthews and Marner seconds in, reacting to Cooper's line change. You've got a defensive zone face-off. You've got two of the best players in the world who are equally, 
strong defensively. Why are you why are you getting into, as Craig Simpson said, this early chess match of match matching up lines? When you're at home, that's your strength. Uh put your best players on the ice and say, here they are. It's up to you guys to shut them down. Uh it just seemed like after that, he went to that fourth line. Aston Reese with a horrific giveaway. Corey Perry wrapping around and before little Bobby's in his seat, uh, they're down one nothing. <laughs> I don't know how many little Bobbies there were last <laughs> little night. Bobby. Disappointed little Bobbies. Uh, but you can, <laughs> and they're all crying. You can picture what little Bobby yeah. looks like, right? Like I can see the Bobby's little, Bobby. little Bobby's in tears yeah. for I'll sure. He's one hundred percent in tears. <laughs> yeah, not even not even one hand into the popcorn no. yet. <laughs> it's devastated. Yeah. Uh. And now the popcorn's wet because the the waterworks oh. are definitely going off. Um, okay, so. Yeah, let's let's hang around on Keith for a second. Uh, like he's in an interesting spot because if you're the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're dealing with the context and the backdrop of all this postseason misery, like it's on you to do everything in your capability to try to get this team in position. And if you mentioned it, maybe it's overstimulation. Maybe they're overwhelmed by information. Maybe you are bogged down by all that goes into preparing for a specific opponent. So again, in your experience. Big spot. You're a proven team, at least from a regular season standpoint. Is less more from a coaching standpoint? I, I think so. And right now, these, these guys are, are as best prepared as they can. Uh, the roster's deep or deepest we've seen uh, in, in any stretch of these last six or seven years. So l- let it just naturally happen. Let it fall in place. Don't get in its way. Um, Ed, and that's where the guys have to come back. I'm sure a ton was said from Sheldon in the first and second intermissions uh, to come in today on, on a on a fairly clean slate without um, being uh, responsible and you know reactionary to last night. Uh, you have to show it its respect. You cannot just brush it under the carpet and say, "Hey, we're we're, we're starting." fresh today you got to go back and and hold what happened last night accountable but have the feeling like there's plenty of time and and we're we know we're better we know we're a good team and last night was a mental block a physical block emotional block for whatever reason uh they were not ready to play game one and uh sheldon has to own it as well as the players on the ice and uh Listen, 1-1 one, one going back into Tampa, um, it, it wouldn't put the Leafs in, in, in the mm-hmm. worst spot. No, I, I think that's certainly an attainable goal. Um, what happens now between last night's loss and tomorrow's puck drop is interesting for what Sheldon Keefe can do and might do or might choose to stick with. Um, obviously, we'll get to what Bunting's situation and his outlook might look like, but I wonder if he's out of the lineup, is that Matthew Nyes' music? And is like any tinkering right now the wrong direction to go? And Justin's very much on like keep the, everything stable, right? But like if you have the Matthew Nyes card, which is a free card right now to play if, if Bunting's out, does that give you a little bit more leeway to move a couple of things around without it being like cause for alarm? Yeah, I, I don't see a world where Bunting's available mm-hmm. uh, game two. Uh, I, I got to think that they went into this this stretch of, you know, making a, a dog's breakfast out of the salary cap down the stretch to get Matthew Nyes in. Uh, 
those games uh, were for a reason. Um, and that was to assess whether or not you could you could put him into a scenario like mm. this. And I, I think he he passed the test. Uh, I, I don't know how effective he'll be. And again, you know, there is the chance that he will be overwhelmed by that moment. But I don't know what other options you have out there. You know, is it Wayne Simmons coming back in for a little extra uh, toughness? But was that an issue for the Leafs last night? Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I think you have to be in a position where uh, you bring some size and skill in and that lends towards Matthew Nyes. I don't think it's ideal. It's it's a hard situation now to ask a college kid to come in off a 7-3 loss. Like In a perfect world, you want to put him in a, possession, a position of strength to come in maybe when uh, it's an easier transition, not one where you've been humiliated the game before. But as we know, uh, as Leaf Nation knows, not much is ideal this time of year for the Leafs. But I expect them to be in and and uh, and bunting suspended. And, and it puts more scrutiny we would expect on the bottom six. Like, I can't imagine a world if Bunting's out, Callie Yarncroke doesn't jump up to the top line because we've seen success recently there, which means Matthew Nyes slides in into a bottom six, which, frankly, got exposed last night. I mean, there are a lot of people that got exposed. I, I don't know if I've ever seen TJ Brody play that bad. Uh, Justin Hall and Mark Giordano were a nightmare in front of the net. There were a lot of bad things going on. But the supposed improvements in the bottom six just weren't there. And now if you move remove yarn croak add matthew nyes i mean there's just more questions isn't there yeah there is but they they were around all season long right and if you look at that left side uh and i've said it all year it's the weakest link in the roster and you not even ideal to think that yarn croak's gonna step up yarn croak's not a frontline guy he's not a number one guy uh, uh neither is bunting uh but your lineup reeks of, uh, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul. And that's what you're going to have to do on the left side uh, with Yarncrock, who should slot in there now with Matthews and Marner. But you, you got to get the two guys going too as well. And uh, it just seemed like, you know, out of the gate, uh, Matthews and Marner never got going. Um, I know they had the, the points last night to kind of support that, uh, they did their jobs and provided offense, but it's it's about uh, dictating the pace of play, uh, not necessarily uh, you know just end results. And they were far from their best last night either. Yeah, let the record be known that despite a three point game for Mitch Marner, that was not a good game for Mitch Marner. Like you could look back and oh, he, you know he's productive early on in the series. No, that was not a productive night for Matthews and Marner, uh, not even in the slightest. Uh, we will see practice today. Uh, I believe at noon, uh, the Matthew or the bunting decision, rather, uh, we're expected to hear uh, after 3 p.m. when he has his hearing with the Department of Player Safety. So we're going to see new look lines before we know a decision on Michael Bunting. The, the, the Leafs can't just like you have to operate under the assumption that he's getting suspended, correct? 100 um, percent. And again, that's just a, a lack of discipline on his part. Uh Playoff hockey's about, uh, you know, every once in a while kind of pairing off with someone. His nemesis was uh, Chernak uh, early in the game and to go back on him and uh, and take matters in his own hand was a horrific decision. And he will pay the price. And, 
so will the Leafs uh, losing a serviceable player in bunting. So, again, not ideal for Nyes to come in, but let's see what happens in game two. Certainly not the reason that the Maple Leafs lost the game, the refing, um, but definitely a talking point this morning. Uh, were you happy with the way that the game was called? And especially if you look at how maybe other games have been called so far to start the series. Um, for example, Boston and Florida. That was a pretty physical one. And um, then you look at how last night was it refed uh, between the Leafs and Tampa. Are you seeing uh, anything that we should keep an eye on? It's... Ailish, when we're talking about officiating this time of year, you, you just you're not sure what you're going to get. But mm-hmm. to sit here now and 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 link the officiating to last night's effort or the debacle is uh, is a is a reach at best uh, by Leaf Nation. Um, that yeah, there were there were suspect calls, no mm-hmm. question. Uh, I hated the the Luke Shen shove. Uh, that the, looked like the first ever one handed cross check. First ever. Yeah. Uh, Never happened camp, before. Uh, camps <laughs> slash, like, yeah, it was not. It was not well mm-hmm. officiated. Um, but again, uh, that's the least of my worries. If I'm if I'm the Leafs right now, that's not my focus. Um, you know, your five on five play is mm-hmm. uh, better goaltending. You know, better 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 job in front of the net. Um, you know, when it was all said and done, I think. Uh, the Leafs were two for four on the power play, but you need more five on five. You need more out of uh, your star players and, uh, you know, giving a, a Tampa for the second consecutive game, eight power play opportunities and them coming up with four goals. I mean, that's the game right there. Yeah. It can't be an excuse. You got to control what you can control. And a lot of the things that the Maple Leafs, Failed to do uh, were things in their own control. Um, let's talk about Samsonov. You mentioned goaltending post game. He was pretty candid. He said he played like beep, um, <laughs> which eh, pretty accurate. Um, bounce back opportunity, something he can flush, or any little moments that you thought, oh, I've seen this before, and it's not a, a, an area of comfort for me as a fan. He's going to get another opportunity in game two. You just don't mm-hmm. bail on Samsonov after God, the year no. that he's had. And, uh, you know, I think uh, it gets a little uh, it gets a little uh, uh, dicey mm-hmm. <laughs> when you look on the bench and you see Wall there. And then after Wall, uh, I, I, I university goalie, uh, the Zamboni driver. Oh so you got to stick with Samsonov. Uh, and, and giving him an, another opportunity to bounce back. It seemed like he didn't have long stretches all season long of poor play. He was not very good uh, last night and uh, a little uncharacteristic of him at home. Mm. Um, but uh, they have no choice uh, to, to come back to him and just do a better job. Like, again, you're, you're, you're barely a minute into the game and to watch Justin Hall let Corey Perry wrap around the net and not get any piece of him and puck watch, there's not a goalie in the world that uh, can can overcome that poor play. Did Because we started the season, right, talking about the nerves that he was admitting earlier on. And, you know, the mental aspect, the mental block. This is like the biggest thing. The big, the, the most 
the the truest unspoken thing at this at this time is the mental hurdles that this team is trying to overcome. Like we we can only surmise how big of a deal is, what percentage, how it's affecting who, but Samsonov has been one of the few and really the only who's admitted to being nervous before and he built up all this equity over the course of the regular season and we're asking about how the are the playoffs too big of a spot for the Maple Leafs just in general. But is it too big of a spot maybe for Ilya Samsonov? Like we were talking about maybe ignorance is bliss with this guy. Maybe he doesn't really understand how much torment there really has been. But after <laughs> game one, like you can't you can't reach for that, right? Like he understands the spot. He's been nervous yeah. before. It's affected his play before. And that was as nervous and as bad as we've seen Ilya Samsonov play. At least we can surmise. Yeah, listen, uh, Justin, that was the question right from September is that you, you where's your goaltending and you know whether or not it was going to be Matt Murray or Samsonov and Samsonov always had this reputation for being a high prospect guy uh that uh had all the potential in the world but just never rose to the occasion in Washington so give him a chance here he's got the experience of Matt Murray who's won cups although they haven't you know you got to look in the rearview mirror uh, and look closely. Uh, they've been so far back uh, from his recent uh, uh, games in Ottawa. And, you know, there's always that that chance that you're going to take an inexperienced guy, bring him in there, and he might be overwhelmed. And uh, there's still room for him to overcome that. Um, but that that's just his battle. And, you know, we'll see where this thing develops and how it how it ends up for Samsonov one way or the other. And uh, it'll play a big part on on where the Leafs go moving forward here. But everybody knew it was a, there was a chance that uh, coming in, uh, a guy like Samsonov without the experience, one, one win in his career could be in a situation where uh, it, the moment's too big for him. Uh, but he's got time to dig himself out and everybody has to go through it for the first time. All the greats, Patrick Waugh, uh, Marty Brodeur, they had to start somewhere. This is, this is Samsonov's start. Uh, let's see how it plays out. All right, Kipper, um, on your road to being Stanley Cup champion, I'm sure you've had to have some bounce-back games, some flush-it moments where you got 48 hours to come back um, as a completely different team than you were the night before. Um, so the Maple Leafs need a short memory, I think, to to get rid of what happened last night, but also maybe need to learn something, take something, make some action before tomorrow night's game. What actually does need to happen in that dressing room? Like, if you're in that room... And you're looking around. Is there something that needs to be said? Is there some some sort of leadership that we don't know as fans that might happen? Is that coming from the coach down, or is that the guys wearing the letter or not the letter in the dressing room? Like, what would you want to see um, from last night until puck drop tomorrow? Yeah, there 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 needs to be a, a few of those moments. I think that's why you bring in a guy like Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, as much as you you look at Austin Matthews or Tavares or Morgan Riley, I. I, I do believe if 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 they had it in them, it, it would have surfaced a long time ago to be a guy that can grab another guy by the by the cuff and and just say, hey, listen, we we need more out of you, or um, you know, I know I need, I know we need more out of me. It has to be a reflection. It's it's the players' room, you know. At the end of the day, and and coaches come in there and they guide and they 
they, they set uh, some boundaries and some guardrails that you hope that uh, can help them succeed. But at the end of the day, it's it's the it's the guys in that room that have to look at each other and, and go out there and do it collectively. You know, coaches still don't have one shift that can make a difference on the ice as far as I can remember uh, this game. So, yeah, I, I look at uh, uh, the reason why you went and traded for Ryan O'Reilly to go give Tavares a, a lending hand and Matthews. And I've been there. I've done it before. You know, here are the, here are the good signs that I see that uh, that we have here. And this is this is where we need to to hold each other accountable. To me, that's Ryan O'Reilly in that room today and and preparing for game two. I was watching Ryan O'Reilly last night. I'm thinking like this is the only guy going. This is this is the only guy who seems to be rising to the occasion. He looked very good, uh, but there was only so much he could do. And I'd love to be in his brain, honestly. Like, what is he thinking? Because he's yeah. seen success before. He's seen what it means. Yeah. And if there's no elevation, he's looking around being like, like guys, uh, we're in a playoff game here and it's a bit yeah. different. Uh, and I wonder if he will stand up and say something. But yeah, do you agree that O'Reilly stood out among Leafs? And was there anyone on a short list that you created that actually did pop yesterday? Yeah, uh, not really. <laughs> it was that bad. Uh, but fair. I will say this, uh, uh, go, go back and, and, and listen to Ryan O'Reilly's postgame comments. And, you know, while some of it may be cliche, it's just the way he conducts himself, the way he sounds, the way he's not uh, overreacting. Um the composure that he that he uh, portrays in his interview, uh, that's 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 the guy I want nineteen other guys to listen to uh, today and tomorrow, and uh, I think he's he he can have a real calming influence on all of this going into uh, Thursday night. Last one for you, Kipper. Uh, the Leafs were booed off the ice after the first period. They were booed off the ice in the second period. We watched many stream for the exits midway through the third period. I think it's a completely appropriate response for fans to show uh, that they were unsatisfied with what they saw. Uh, do you see it the same way? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think uh, all the players would be in agreement. Uh, and, and so would management and the whole MLSE organization. Uh, and you got 48 hours to wipe that out. Uh, again, one-one going back into Tampa with a sound win with Austin and and Mitch leading the way. Uh, check a few boxes off with a sound game by Samsonov. Good team defense and uh, and and start making people believe that uh, you know this is this is going to be as close as uh, most people thought. A lot of hockey left, Kipper. I love the level-headedness that you bring to our mornings. Appreciate it. Can't wait to listen to Kipper and Bourne uh, this afternoon. See if you still have that mental fortitude that you bring to our show. And breathe, right? Everyone it's all breathe. in the it's all in the breath. <sighs> Thank you. All Talk right. To you have soon. a great day, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Kipper. Uh, Nick Kiprios, former NHL four Stanley Cup champion, co-host of Real Kipper and Bourne. And our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Take a deep breath. Maple Leafs are back tomorrow night. They got a chance to flush it and move on. 7 p.m. Maybe that's what the difference was. Extra 30 minutes. 7.30 starts, not good for anyone. That's right. That was the problem. Somebody just texted in saying the Leafs should wear white jerseys at home. Maybe that's the problem. It's another issue. They're all trying to figure it out. Who knows? Uh, Lots of good stuff there for Kipper. One one thing quickly, Mm because we got Dan Shulman on the other side. You got to start somewhere with a goaltender in these spots. 
but Samsonov starting in a must-win scenario with the future of the franchise hanging in the balance? If that's true, that you have to start somewhere and then you have to actually, like, take your licks Mm -hmm. first before you can be successful in the playoffs, not great. Oh, what other option do you have? Well, this is Kyle. Like, again, the last I also love that the the Matt Murray discussion has just, like, disappeared. Like, no actual, like, confirmation of anything has happened. He's just not around. He's not anywhere. He's just... He's not around. He's just disappeared. Not an option. There's no been no the, statement on it. No. <laughs> it's like, see you never. The last person I want to criticize today is Kyle Dubas because I think he's like, what else could you do? Goaltending has eluded him, though. And if, again, you mentioned Matt Murray's not even going to be in the building. Like, we don't know his whereabouts. He could be uh, on an island sipping a margarita somewhere. Who knows what could he's be. doing? But there was almost $5 million there. If you just stashed him on LTIR, Mark Stone came back. Yeah, I got that. A lot, of, bo- lot of bolstered, ro- bolstered <laughs> rosters, right? There's $5 million there. If you want to get even more aggressive and be even better than you are from a roster standpoint, I mean, there's $5 million being squandered as we speak. Let's flip to some positive vibes. Y'all see Chris Bassett last night? How about <laughs> Chris Bassett? I know you had your eyes on the Maple Leafs, but hopefully you split screened it with our Sportsnet now. Rogers Ignite app because damn, we saw the Chris Bassett that the Blue Jays went out and s- grabbed all of his millions of pitches, six inning shutouts, defeating the Astros 4 2, going for the series win tonight. We got Dan Schulman to bring us home with a little positivity on your hump day. Dan Schulman, after the break, we'll do a baby wake and rake as well. So send your picks in at 590 That's next. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's wrap up this Wednesday on the Fan Morning Show with Justin and Ailish. We went through the highs and lows of the Maple Leafs debut of the playoffs, mostly lows. But last night, Blue Jays were in action in Houston. For game two of their three-game set, going for the series win tonight. And joining us now is Dan Schulman, play-by-play announcer for the Blue Jays with us here at Sportsnet. Dan, we need some positivity this morning, and you're just the guy, all right? <laughs> it's been rough, Dan. It's been rough. <laughs> so so tell me, obviously, I was doing the Jays game, but I was following the Leaf score. What were the highs of the Leaf game that you discussed earlier That it today? ended. That we got to beat the traffic was a major positive. Uh, two for right. four in the power play, decent. I mean, oh. you know, kind of worried about what the power play might look like, but it looked pretty good. Uh, other than that, though, Ryan O'Reilly, decent, but uh, very few positives, Dan. Hey, what are we going to do? Well, okay, let's uh, flip it on to you. Positives from the Blue Jays last night. What stood out? Uh, Chris Bassett was great. Like, great. He he keeps getting better and better every start. I mean, this is a good team, Houston, and a team that's familiar with him. He faced them a lot when he was with Oakland, and he came out and executed. Didn't give up a hit, I think, till the fifth, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, the velocity was good. Used all of his pitches, located well. Uh, Vladdy got a ball in the air, hit a home run. That's always fun. That's a good sign. Matt Chapman did Matt Chapman things, which means he hit another home run, and he made a great defensive play. Uh, and then Jordan Romano was great. Came in, got the last out of the eighth inning, and then got the three outs of the nine to to get the save. It was, uh, I think, I said right as we were going off the air. It's good, you know, good team win over a good team. I mean, a road win in Houston over a good team 
where lots of lots of different guys contributed uh, towards this win, especially after you know how poorly they had played the previous two games. So it was a good night for them. Well, the Chris Bass's storyline has certainly been one that uh, has gotten from bad to good, and it couldn't have gotten much worse after the first start. So that's a good direction to be going. Um, I wonder what you think is the biggest reasoning for his turnaround. Is it? I know there's a lot of conversation early on, and we might have had you on that first week where it was like, okay, is he is he working through all the pitches and the pitch clock and pitch calm, and was there just a little bit of trial and error there? Have you seen a level of comfortability settling in for him that's led to this uh, emergence of uh, the Chris Bass that we want to see? Yeah, no question. I mean, the St. Louis start, and, and I give him credit for, you know, for honesty. He came out of the game and he said, I really don't know what to say. Like, when he was talking to the media, he said, I really don't know what to say. Like, they they hit every pitch I threw. They were unbelievably aggressive. It's almost like they were just up there, um, you know, swinging the, swinging the first ball you see, swing as hard as you can, and, and he couldn't figure it out. Now, he made some mistakes in terms of location and all that, but he is definitely settling in. Um, he's definitely gotten more comfortable with Pitchcom. You know, he's a unique guy in the sense that he throws seven pitches, and that's a lot going on. So he wants to call his own game. And even last night, um, Buck and I were talking a couple of times. It was it, It's funny, you start watching the clock a little bit in a shot, in, in a um, in a game like his, like you watch the shot clock in basketball. And I don't normally do that. But he's got so many pitches. Uh, when there's nobody on base, it's only 15 seconds. And he tends to walk to the back of the mound a little bit and then call the pitch and then get back up on the rubber and then throw the pitch. And sometimes that takes just about every available second that there is. But he's gotten in a rhythm and a flow where it's at his pace. And if he has to step off or throw over to first or whatever, or slow things down a little bit, he did that a couple of times as well. So um, I think definitely he has gotten more of a comfort zone, not only with pitch come, with his catchers too. This is the third time in a row he's worked with Alejandro Kirk and it's gone well. So I don't know if that'll be a thing going forward, but Bassett has definitely uh, started to look like the guy the Blue Jays signed. So the pitching story, however, isn't uh, all positive. Uh, we're coming off a pretty uh, strange and perplexing Kevin Gosman blow up, and Alec Manoa failed in his chance to uh, make it a clean sweep of the Tampa Bay Rays over the weekend. Though we are doing positive, though, and I think for Gosman, just a blip. And I guess for Manoa, if we're doing positivity, velocity up at least in his start <laughs> Sunday? Yeah, Gosman definitely just a blip. I mean, I think he's rock-solid reliable, and, and and I don't think there's anything wrong with Kevin Gosman. Um, Alec Manoa, it's three out of four that haven't gone the way that you want them to go. And, yes, the velocity was up. Uh, if we're doing positivity, if we're not doing positivity, he's not locating very much at all. And, um you know, making mistakes over the heart of the plate that get hit. But to me, the biggest part is his slider. He got so much swing and miss on his slider last year because he made it tempting to them. It was close enough that it looked like a strike, but it would wind up out of the strike zone. But now he's missing by too much. They're not swinging at it. So either you got to go away from it and throw a fastball, which they kind of know is coming if you can't land the slider, or you're hanging a slider over the heart of the plate. And very, very few pitchers are good enough to get away with that. So, uh, and the next one is at Yankee Stadium with Garrett mm-hmm. Cole on the other side on Saturday, right? So that's a big one. So um, I, internally, it's hard to get a read, guys, on what the uh, concern meter is at right now. I, I think there is some concern. You know, it's, again, three out of four that haven't gone well. The stuff looks okay. It's about repeating his delivery, command, putting the ball where he wants to put it. Um, listen, he's a worker. He's a fighter. Everybody knows that. So he'll keep trying, and hopefully Saturday goes better. 
and I, I don't like making this uh, comparison to like a guy's uh, mental toughness in the spot he's put in, but the playoff opener, the season opener, and the home opener were all really big spots for Manoa, and he didn't deliver. But you said his next game is Yankee Stadium, Garrett Cole on the other side of the mound. He loves playing there. I feel like this one is really, really big in terms of stopping that narrative alone, but just a confidence moment from Alec Manoa, who's certainly a guy that rides on that, who believes in himself, who wants to be the ace. He wants to be the bulldog out there. And I, I think that maybe this weighs a little bit heavier than the other starts. Is that right? I would agree 100% with that. I think that's a great point. I mean, he does like the big moment. But as you say, uh, in the playoff game, the season opener, or the home opener, maybe he's been a little bit too amped up. It's, mm. you know, I always really hesitate to, you know, try to crawl inside somebody else's brain right. and, and, and figure out that stuff. But, yeah, for sure, there's a narrative out there in certain corners uh, about that. But at the same point, his major league debut was at Yankee stadium and he was great, right? He was great. And and so um, I don't think, I don't think he is shying away for the big moment or anything like that. So because it's positivity Friday, I choose to look at it as, as coincidence, but you know, this is, this is the big leagues and there'll be a lot of eyes on Saturday's game. And the fact that it is Yankee stadium and it is Cole. And remember he had words for Cole last year when, you know, Cole came out of the dugout after stuff started going on in that game. It, it's, it's not a Tuesday night in Kansas city. It just isn't. And, and you can't pretend um, that it is, but uh, I, I think, I think he'll be all right. I, I, I do think he'll be okay because I do think the stuff is okay. And at the end of the day, if the stuff is okay, then I, I think everything else falls into place, but he is trying to work through some things right now and you hope he goes out there with a clear mind uh, on Saturday in the Bronx. Do they still have the Audi sign on the turf out on the field at Yankee Stadium? Because we'll (laughs) be having eyes on that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to find out when we get there. We won't actually get I I won't actually get there Mm -hmm. till Saturday. Don't shoot the messenger but Friday, not you guys, I mean the listeners, but Friday Friday's an Apple game. Uh, So so yeah, uh, so uh, but Buck and Dan have the night off, but uh, that's a, that's an MLB thing. That's not a Blue Jay thing or a Rogers thing. Like every team has it. So I think they probably still do have the Audi sign there. Yeah, but right. um, yeah, I, yeah, I imagine that uh, that uh, uh, Manoa. It, it's funny. Like you know, what what do we expect to see in terms of his vibe out on the mound? Right? Is he a little bit more low key because he's not coming in there? you know, really, you know, dealing as much as, as well as he normally is. It'll be interesting. And, and here's what we know for sure. And it'll happen every time they go to Fenway too. Like the opposing fans are going to be on them. And that's just the way it is, right? When you're, when you're a big guy with a big personality and, and you've had a couple of great years and you've shut down their teams and you've had words with their star, uh, he's going to be hearing it. So it, it'll be a bit of a scene on Saturday. Yeah, in terms of product placement, I think Audi's got to be lick, licking its chops that Alec <laughs> Manoa is coming in. That's yes. the best thing for Audi, or at <laughs> yes. least the one game that they're going to have at Yankee Stadium. Uh, I, I know we're being positive, positive Wednesday. I'm going to trend a little negative here. Oh, did I say Friday? I don't even know what day it is. Oh, I said I it was wish. Positivity Friday. Oh, it's all good. <laughs> well, it's just uh, those two things. They yeah, just go together. Are, yeah, it goes together, Positivity Friday. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm actually surprised we even know what day it is, to be honest. Uh <laughs> So this, it's hard to really quibble with what the Blue Jays have done. It's been a difficult schedule. They've won 60% of their games. However, the, the pitching's been up and down. And it's interesting because the, the biggest point of concern might be Alec Manoa, at least in terms of like what you can really bank on. But I feel like we're seeing maybe just a little bit of the limitations on doing the opposite of homegrown, like locking yourselves into a pretty expensive rotation. It's just... Is this the failure, and and again, Manoa is homegrown, the failure to produce your own starters, is there just limitations on that as a general rule? 
Yeah, if you don't produce, and it goes for any part of your roster, but I think it's kind of exacerbated with starting pitching. If you don't produce your own, you got to go out and get them somewhere. You got to either trade for them or sign them. Those are the only other two options. So, you know, yes, they're locked into what is it? Seven years, 131 with Barrios. Three years, 63 with Bassett, and five years, 110 with Gosman. Now, the Gosman deal was great last year, and I think it's going to be great going forward. Bassett's starting to look like himself. You know, Barrios, as good as he was last time, that's the one where you kind of wonder uh, what will be. But producing your own talent is huge. Like, and we were talking about it during one of the Rays games. Um, they trade for Drew Rasmussen from Milwaukee. They make him into a starter. He turns into a star. So, yes, they got him in a trade, but they traded their shortstop, Willie Adamas. Who trades their starting shortstop? Well, they could do it because they had Wander Franco coming, and they knew he was going to be a star. So it was the depth of their system that allowed them to make the trade. So everything almost always comes back to producing your own talent, and that's why, uh, listen, if Nate Pearson, and maybe he will still pan out as a very good major league reliever, but if we go back four years, three years, whatever it is, Nate Pearson was supposed to be a number one starter. He was supposed to be that guy. If you de- if Nate Pearson develops and becomes who you want him to become, one of these big money starters isn't on the team right now. And maybe that money is used elsewhere. So it, it, it all trickles down, right? There's a domino effect between all this stuff. So to answer your question, Justin, yes, uh, it's very important. And if Ricky Tiedemann can become that guy, whether it's this year, next year, whenever, yes, that helps. But they are kind of locked into the, the five that they have right now. But uh, listen, I, I give them credit for spending like they, you know, they, they could have opted not to go out and get Chris Bassett and not spend that money and then have like a, you know, a four, a guy or a journeyman guy in the fifth spot and hope for the best and, and, and that sort of thing. But in terms of flexibility, they don't really have a lot of it because the more you spend on a guy, the more, likely you're going to see if he can work it out right they 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 cut bait on tanner roark you remember a couple of years ago that like after two starts of his second season they said this isn't working and they ate about 11 million dollars but it's hard to do that and not everybody does that so hopefully these five work out because as you say they are heavily invested in all five of them um, Dan, lots we could cover in terms of the offense here for the Blue Jays. But, I mean, Matt Chapman has had just an incredible start to the season. I think he's even been rumored to be one of the greatest Blue Jays of all time already. Uh, how enjoyable has it been to watch what he's done to start off the season? It's great because and I remember talking to him in the spring, and I said, what are your goals offensively this year? Like, what did you work on in the winter? And he said uh, two things, uh, using the whole field and cutting down on my swing and miss. And I said, how do you, how do you hope to do that? And we talked about the toe tap. And I'm not a mechanics guy. Like, I, I, I'm not. I can't do a deep dive on all that kind of stuff. But ex- the, exactly what he said he was trying to fix and exactly how he said he was trying to fix it is exactly what's happening right now. Now, nobody does this for 162 games. Um, but what he's doing right now is remarkable. And he said an interesting thing to me. He said, I remember we were like walking towards the field and he said, I know I'm going to struggle at some point, but when I struggle, I I will have this to look back on because I know this works. I know this feels good. Um, And I can go back and look at video. Um, And uh, I'm really happy for him because, you know, Matt Chapman's a really good player when he hits 230 and strikes out a lot because of all of the other things that he brings. If he's going to hit, like, make up a number, 270, I'm not saying 320 or anything like that, but if he's going to hit 270 and hit 35 homers 
and hit doubles to right center like crazy. I mean, he's an he's an all-star player who gets MVP some MVP votes. And he finished at something like eighth and sixth or eighth and ninth, whatever it is, in MVP ballot balloting in eighteen and nineteen with Oakland. He's that good of a player. He's obviously an elite defender. And I will tell you, he is, in my opinion, the leader of the team. And they've got a few. Springer's a leader. Gosman's a leader. They've got others. But if I had to pick one guy, it's Matt Chapman. And that's, you know, I think that happened kind of midway through last year. And that was his first year on the team when he maybe wasn't playing as well as he would like to play. He, he carries a lot of weight in that room. And um, he, he was funny. He, you know, he looked at me, he said, it's all about my timing and my toe tap and my lower half. And he kind of looked, he pointed at his forearms. He goes, you know, I know I'm pretty strong. And I like my, I was standing right beside him and my forearms look like toothpicks, you know, standing <laughs> behind his. And I found myself saying, yeah, you, you are pretty strong or something like that. You know, <laughs> you know, just mumbling, mumbling incoherently or something. But um, he's a really, he's an intense guy. He's a really cool guy to talk to. He puts in the work. You guys, if, if you ever come down to a game, come down early, um, Matt Chapman taking infield at, at four o'clock is like Matt Chapman playing in a game. There's no like practice speed. It's everything is done at game speed with game intensity. And it's just cool to watch him go about his business every day. Last one for you, Dan, and look at me being negative again, but if there's something ah. that's kind of bubbling under the surface in terms of talk radio fodder, it's the uh, the situation at second base and the dispersion of at-bats between Biggio, Espinal, and Merrifield. Uh, if this is like experimentation, tryouts, you know, like get us to the trade deadline and see where we're going to land, like is that how long it takes? How long is the experimentation process before they kind of lock in on one guy and, and really name them their, uh, you know, their, their everyday second baseman? Yeah, I, I think it's already starting to evolve, to be honest with you. So last night, a righty was on the mound. At the beginning of the season, um, you know, Espinal was only playing against lefties, and it was kind of Merrifield or Biggio against righties, and Merrifield might be in, in the outfield. But last night um, against a righty like Biggio wasn't in there. Merrifield, who's been good, um, you know, not electric, but good. He's coming up with a hit or a walk every single game. Um, he was in there um, in the outfield, and Espinal was at second base. And Merrifield keeps, keeps hitting. And I, and I think Merrifield will be at second base today against a righty, which is a bit of a departure. You know, this is, um, I mean, the Blue Jays are in Houston. Kevin Vigio lives here. His parents sit in the stands when they watch the games here. And maybe Kevin will be in right field today. I'm not sure. But um, what I'm getting at is I think Merrifield is starting to get, uh, you know, some of those toss-up who could be there. I think Merrifield's going to be in the lineup more often than not. I think he's the most likely of the three to really get going with the bat if he gets regular playing time. I mean, he's obviously got the longest, strongest track record of the three. I still think he's going to move around a little bit. I, I asked John Schneider yesterday about his defense in the outfield, and he said, we're thrilled with it. And then he made it, I don't know if you saw it because the Leaf game, but he made a really nice running catch, an important play in left field last night. I, I think Merrifield's going to go from playing four days a week to playing five, maybe six days a week, that sort of thing. And, and there might not be as much around for Espinal and Vigio right now. But because of Witt's versatility, there will still be some time. I don't think any of them are playing seven days a week at second base. I don't see that happening. But it's a results-oriented business, and I think it will evolve to the point where the, the percentage of the time that each of them plays uh, gets adjusted. And, and it, it's tough. Like, like Vigio's first two years were really good. He did very well. and But right now, he's not swinging it great, and Merrifield's swinging it pretty well, and I, I think Witt's going to get – 
more and more time. But I don't think there's like a trade deadline or all-star break or Memorial Day or anything like that. You know, last year um, it was supposed to be a platoon, and by day four, Espinal kind of took the job mm-hmm. from Vigio. So I don't think it's going to – it hasn't been that fast, obviously. But I, um, if, if Merrifield continues to hit, I think we're going to see him out there on almost an everyday basis. Maybe a little friendly competition as well is, uh, makes for some, mm-hmm. some good results out on a team. Um, Dan, I appreciate you joining us. Enjoy today's final game of the, home, uh, the, the trip into Houston. And then your day off on Friday and Thursday. And you'll be back yep. Saturday. We'll listen to you. Can't wait uh, for that big game um, with Manoa. Can't wait, guys. Thanks very much. Talk Thanks to you soon. so much, Dan. Appreciate it. That's Dan Shulman, Blue Jays, play-by-play announcer at Sportsnet. Uh, hard guy not to cheer for, Matt Chapman. He's in my wake and rake. Okay. Wake up! Now it's time for Wake and Rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. Mesmerized by the Matt Chapman start, so I'm going to go back to what's hot. We are just having a terrible start to the week, so <clears throat> with our picks, so I'm going Chapman over one and a half bases tonight, plus 125. Just like the Maple Leafs, let's get all the negativity out of the way, and let's look forward to mm-hmm. Game 2 or the third attempt at the Wake and Rake this week. Uh, I will keep it simple. Milwaukee lost Game 1. Uh, against the Miami Heat on home floor. I don't know if Giannis is going to be available tonight. To be honest, I don't really care. They're six and a half point favorites. Did you say they, to be honest or to be honest? To be honest. <laughs> they need to respond. Uh, and they're good enough to win this game without Giannis and Tentacupo. If you're going to be a legit NBA Finals favorite, which they are, maybe not anymore with Giannis status up in the air, uh, but Milwaukee needs this one. I expect them to win comfortably. Six and a half to, I will take Milwaukee at home versus Miami. All right, um, let's get through a couple here. Um, I've just highlighted so we can just read quickly. Neil says, uh, Krejcikova, Moneyline versus Sabalenka. Um, we've got Ron and Jules with the Lakers over Memphis and Bobichet over bases. Corey from Port Hope has Memphis on the money line versus the Lakers. We've got a Barrios over strikeouts and over five and a half Leafs jerseys thrown on the ice after game two. Don't love that one. Uh, Jay's run line minus one and a half and then LeBron James over six and a half assists tonight. That's Courier Chris. Um, we've got Jag and Scarborough saying over on Chapman basis. There you go. Or under Wild and Stars game. Melon Thorold, first time uh, texter in. Welcome. Blue Jays, Ash shows overruns and then finally we have a mcdavid to score mcdavid over points what do you like from that okay we have two lakers there or two mem no we have one lakers one memphis sorry i read that wrong that uh makes things a little bit easier because i didn't really want to go either way that's an interesting game it's a coin flip Uh, i don't really have a lean but if john moran's out you might be leaning lakers uh anyway uh barrios over k's interests me okay um and the other one that i like was from jeg the under and the wild and stars. Uh, it looks like rock fight central. So there. why don't we do that? So we've got uh, one from baseball, basketball, and hockey. Done. Okay. So under in the stars, I'm seeing it at five and a half. Yeah. That's that's a depressed total. Maybe tease it to six. Okay. Let's tease it to six. Um, that being said, let me put this together quickly. Put the put the five and a half in. Let's put just the put the five and a half in. Okay. Live a little. Okay. All right. Our wake and rake today is going to be under in the wild and the stars. Uh, over Chapman bases and Milwaukee Bucks on the spread altogether. Your parlay is six ninety three. Damn, that was a fun day. Like yesterday, pretty nightmarish. But if you can't like laugh and talk it through, you and, find and, like, a way through it. Your head might explode. So I'm glad that we were able to go with through our, a three with hour our community. I appreciate everybody, session. and then we appreciate the calls. Yeah, and then quickly over under bunting suspension one and a half games under. You already served one. I'm going over. Okay. All right. Thanks for everyone for calling in, being a part of. The post game 
reactions to Game 1, the Stanley Cup playoffs for Toronto Maple Leafs. We'll be back tomorrow to tee up Game 2. It's a new day. Everyone take a deep breath, like Nick Kiprio said. We'll get through it.